Once was a land of woe and strife Where the people were bereft of hope They prayed to their gods of might and light To deliver the heroes of old Instead they got Heroes, did you hear the quotes in my voice of moral ambiguity? They may help or may not help you at all, depends on what's in it for them. They kick and they punch and they maul and they smash, they lie and they scheme and they burn and they slash. Succeed or fail, it has to the tell, dungeons and debacles starts now. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Dungeons and Debacles podcast. I am your host and Dungeon Master, Kevin. Going around the table, Hannah. I'm Hannah, and I'll be playing Talia the Human Rogue. And Shane. I'm Shane, I'm playing Alexander the Human Wizard Bard. And John. Okay, now it's been a while, but I'm pretty sure I'm playing Adel Belmont, who's a douche with a tattoo, yeah? That checks out. Close. Cool. And Blake. I'm Blake, and I'll be playing the Dragonborn Eldritch Knight slash Wizard Juliet. Um, so Oliver can't be with us today because his mic is broken. Um, so we will do our best to kill his character. Rest in pepperoni. So last time on Dungeons and Debacles podcast, uh, you guys hightailed it out of the uh, Bonebreaker camp after uh, Cull showed up at the gates and destroyed them. And a show of shock and awe to get the half orc's attention um, before he started his parlay with them. Um, you guys um, distracted the guards uh, at the other end of the gate and told them that they needed to go down and fight. They bought it, left the gates um, unguarded, and you guys were able to make it out of the camp. Uh, you headed to the base of Mount Sunder, where after a while of looking around, you found the entrance. To Bonebreaker's tomb. In order to get inside, you figured out that um, you needed Bonebreaker's sword to cross the gateway of this tomb, which uh, split this magical field that allowed you inside. And uh, that's where you find yourselves now. It's dark in here and a little bit cool and musty. You see a like a worn stone floor. Um, that I guess has aged well over the past 3,000 years that no one's been in here. You can't really see anything uh, beyond like the, the first couple of feet <clears throat> in front of you, and that is from the um, light that is just now coming up um, from the sunrise. So what do you want to do? Um, be aware of this whole thing that Alunidas, who I'm actually playing, um, is an elf. So he'll be able to see in the dark, even though the others will need torches. I will not. I'm a human. A loser human. Yeah, we might have to use you as a scout, because you can see in the dark, and the rest of us cannot. Yeah, you get up right yeah, up You might there. want to like uh, cast your light spell there, Alejandro. Uh, I sure can. That is a thing I'm able to do. Yes, I am going to... I'm trying to think about what I want to attach light onto. I don't really want to do it on my sword because I feel like that would be too bright, you know? Put it um, on your junk. Meaning yeah, the stuff in your pack. 
Yeah, let's just turn my pack into a, a ball of light, you know? I'm going to cast light onto my pouch. Okay, what's the radius on that? Uh, let me... <clears throat> I had it up here like two seconds ago. Let me find it. Drop the spell card, man. 20 foot radius uh, for bright light and then dim light for another 20 feet. I'll go and put the things around me. Already done. You're a hero. Just waiting on it. And my dark vision is 60 feet. I don't know how you want to handle that. All right. So this is uh, what you can see from where you are. Uh, It looks like it opens up uh, from this narrow passageway from the entrance into... um, from what you can see so far, uh, a left fork and a right fork. Um, the ceiling here is probably about um, 15 to 20 feet tall. And all of this looks like it's uh, like a <clears throat> natural um, cave that has been worked in some places. All right. And um, so that's where you're standing right there, Lunardos? Yeah. I figure if I'm out front, then I can see anything in the dark coming for us and let everybody else know. Okay, I need you to give me a, a dexterity save. Okay. All right, so uh, that's a 15. So, <clears throat> Alunidas is going to walk out ahead of you, and uh, you're going to hear a click as um, these arrows shoot out from these ports on either side of the wall. But... Um, he just, uh, they barely miss him and, uh, he can feel the, uh, the air from them, uh, move, uh, past the nape of his neck as they, uh, bounce against the wall and fall to the ground. Uh, guys, looks like this place is trapped. Uh, Talia, you might want to come right up behind me and, uh, keep an eye out. <laughs> uh, I can do that. Do any of us have, a cinch trap? Is that a thing? That is second head, my friend. I think that's a spell, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so that's where you're moving, Talia? Um, no, uh, I'm trying to figure out what he means by right up behind him. So what do you mean by right? right? Like, where is safe? Or maybe beside me to... I don't know. I mean, we're... I'm in the lead just so that I can see things in the dark. You're in the lead so that you can make sure I don't step on anything that'll kill me. And then the others follow behind so that when something goes wrong, they'll keep us from dying. Or help us keep from dying. So, yeah. is it safe to stand here, do you think? I think so. Click. Let's, All right. Let's put the so two squishy people right up front. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to hear another click, and I need you to give me a dexterity save, Talia. Oof. So, that's a 12. So, you are going to take... Oh, man. Two points of damage as another bolt comes from the other side of this wall, and is going to hit you in the arm. How? Told you it was trapped. Uh, you want to give me a perception check? That might be a good idea. I'm oblivious. <laughs> so that's a natural one. Yep. So you're gonna. My look passive hard. is my passive is ten. Uh, yeah, it's still not enough. <laughs> so you're gonna hit that. Uh, it's gonna hit you in the arm, and you're gonna start looking around, and you're gonna be like, I don't know where the hell that came from. I would like to do a perception check. Lunadas also looks around. We've got big eyeballs. Do. All right. So, um, Alunidas and uh, Alexander are going to start looking on the ground, and you're going to see um, a couple of pieces of stone on the ground that look, don't look like the rest of them that you think are probably pressure plates for this trap. 
Lunadas is going to kneel down very carefully and point it out to Talia. Uh, excellent. So just avoid these. That's the the strategy. It's probably a good strategy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could jump across these. Yeah. Lunadas will step off of the one he has been standing on. <laughs> or jump across them if he's not still standing. Yeah, let's just do a quick hop across them. Okay, give me a uh, athletics check. Damn, if I had known that, I would have just fucking crawled on the ground over them. Uh, it, it's a low DC. Gotcha. Yeah, you jump across it with no problem. Can I use acrobatics? Um, sure. Oh, good, because that's what I quick. <laughs> All right. hoppity You're going to jump across this and uh, the back of your heel is going to hit one of these plates and go off. Alexander. Um, but you feel it like catch the back of your cloak and like spin off, uh, but it doesn't hit you. No better time for a new perception check. So um, you enter this uh, central chamber right here, and now you can see that the uh, pass uh, branch off over here. And uh, over on your left side, um, you see uh, it looks like an alcove, and um, there's some garbage piles and a cart that look like they've been left behind here. Um, it looks like uh, this was the, the garbage that was left behind that they didn't take out of the cave. Still intact after 3,000 years? Now that is craftsmanship. Oh, it looks rough. You think if you touched it, it'd probably fall apart. And then over here on this right side, um, you see a branch that uh, forks off to the right. It's probably about uh, 40 feet wide. And then it goes back into darkness, which uh, you think is a path that leads further back into the cave. Well, I suggest that we go the right path. The only path? Yeah. Correct. Well, the left path looks like it has untouched stuff. Maybe that's a better path. Oh, no, it's not even a path, is it? It's Okay, thank you for revealing that. Just an alcove. <laughs> Well, there's only one path to the right, so I guess we will take that. I make very good Sounds good to me. All right. Anyway, we can assume that we're checking for traps without having to roll um, perception checks like every five seconds. Maybe save us some time there, Kevin. Uh, that's what passive perception is for. Um, sure. I have passive perception of 13. 16. Okay. So, uh, we heading north here? Correct. Yep. Mr. Passive Procession of 16, please move forward. Looks like we've come to another fork, fellas. Antalya and Julia. Fella and ladies. Well, lady and Julia. <laughs> All right, so you're going to enter another chamber here that's um, probably 60 feet in diameter, and you're going to see a fork that uh, continues north. And then you're going to see a fork that uh, goes off to the left. And um, on the fort to the north, it just disappears into darkness um, like it goes further back. And then on the fort to the left, you are going to see a large stone door to the north side of that on the left side. And then it appears that there is another path that goes to the south of that. I'm thinking the stone door. If you put a stone door there, you're trying to keep people out, and you leave it there for a long time. You don't just build a stone door and, you know, as somebody dwelling in a cave by accident. 
It's gotta be. You've never there. accidentally set up a stone door? I did that all the time. Yeah, I accidentally go into a room, turn around, there's just a stone door there. I don't know how it got there sometimes, but... You have awfully strange ways of living. You'll have to teach me. All right, so you guys uh, walk up to the stone door, and you're going to be, be able to see that the path to the southwest below that door opens up into another large chamber. And then in front of you, you see a large stone double door that has a iron bar that runs uh, across the outside of it. I remember they were chased out by some sort of evil, so they said. Uh, after 3,000 years, they probably would have broken through. I think it's safe to remove the bar. All right. I think that we should check out the surrounding area before we what if go it's into enchanted? the entrance. Kelly makes a good point. What if it is enchanted? Then whoever touches it is going to be in world of hurt. Or we just won't be able to open it. Uh, does anybody have detect magic? I am not so blessed. Juliet does, and voila, spell card. She casts detect magic. All right, so you detect magic, and you are not detecting any magic from the door, but you are sensing pretty strong magic coming from inside. From the other side of the doors, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, on the other side of the door. So it sounds like the door itself is safe to open. The room itself might be dangerous. Oh, I didn't say that. I said it wasn't enchanted. <laughs> you see Can anything less magical? It's <laughs> just about that, Talia. <laughs> uh, Talia, you want to check the door out? Uh, yes. From I, I don't want to like poke at it. I just want to see if I can see any obvious traps. Okay, go ahead and give me a perception check. Oh God, I'm wow. sorry. It. Uh. I'm so sorry. <laughs> a little try-harding well, on four. the perception, huh? I. Well, I resulted in four yeah, simultaneous rolls. So <laughs> All right, so um, that's an 18. You're looking at the door, and you don't see any traps on the outside of it or in the on the floor in front of it. He came with us? I, well, his wife's dead. He doesn't care about the rest of them anymore, I guess. Nope. All right, so what are you doing? I, I was just going to let it. I was just going to let the group know that I didn't see anything obviously trapped. Well, then it seems that our only option is to open the door, which I will do if no one else minds. I don't know if you're all strong enough to open this door of stone. Well, you might want to remove the bar first, which oh. would also take strength. <laughs> yeah, uh, give me a athletics check, Juliet. It's going to be a 15. Um, so this is pretty heavy. Um, you're going to grab a hold of this and you're able to like lift it up and uh, wedge it over the uh, iron um, elves from coming out of the uh, the door that uh, hold it in and uh, it falls to the ground with a loud clang. Okay, is it covered in paint or oil? Why uh, is it not rusted? Um, so it's stone and it's uh. very, when Juliet lifts that bar up, she's going to feel this heat uh, coming from the door and you can also feel this humid, like wet air coming from uh, the crack under the door and coming from the uh, the crack between the two double doors. It's like, uh, have you ever been in like a laundry room that had the door closed and it's really hot and humid when you walk in? Or I let's say like, Carolina, a, dude. like um. a heated <laughs> indoor pool, like at a hotel. It's like that kind of humid. I, I know that kind of humid, yes. 
All right. Let's open those doors. Uh, hold Nobody on. Else grabs. Oh. Before we open them, everybody get ready and in, in position. Ready your weapons. We don't know what's beyond this door, and I don't want anyone getting hurt when I open this besides me. So with that, uh, Turin and Adel are going to walk up here to the front of the door, and uh, Turin is just going to take his foot and kick this door open. God damn it. So uh, you can see uh, from where you are now, it uh, opens into a pathway that's about 15 foot wide. Uh, and then on the edge of the darkness, you can see um, some buckets and the glow of what appears to be some sort of forge. Lit? Uh, it doesn't lit. look like there's fire coming out of it, but there is this orange glow. And uh, Juliet, what does your detect magic show you? Uh, I think I have to move a little forward to see what it is because I can't actually see it. But uh, yeah, if we move into the room a little bit, I can use my detect magic and see if there's anything in there that's magical within uh, 30 feet. Maybe put Ooh, on your water. That is, that is not looking like uh, total magic. Um, I'm going to shout out that I see slimes. Well, oh. not shout out, but call in a moderate voice pitched to reach the group. So as you walk in this room, you can see now that this appears to be a forge of some sort. Um, there appears to be a forge to the east. There's some ingots and uh, metals to the west. And then above that, you see four green uh, puddles of goo that are now appearing to start coming toward you. So I'm going to need everybody to roll initiative. I can do that. Uh, I can see these slimes rolling very well. Slimy rolls. Three, two, one, three. All right. So uh, as it is in most instances, uh, Alunidas is going to go first. <laughs> All right. Um, not sure what to do here. Should have taken a level in bar. That way you could throw your voice. Well, the thing I'm not sure about is how effective is punching on slimy things. But I'm going to go ahead and give it something of a shot. So these are gelatinous cubes, the uh, the three columns of rectangles. Kevin, uh, give me a. Well, I mean, are they are they enemies that I need to worry about? This. Well, I mean, you don't know that. Give me a history check. Can Juliet make one as well to identify these? Yep. Want, want 11. Three. <laughs> um, all you can really know is these are some some green goopies. And I don't think anyone but me can see any of this stuff right now, so... I mean, there's dim light over there. Oh, right. Okay, um... In that case, I'm gonna go stand up here next to this thing. So I'm gonna advance, stand next to the forge, and attack the closest of the puddles with a punch. Uh, that is a 20 to strike. That'll hit. For six damage. And then, uh, just a basic bonus strike to follow up. 21. That'll hit. Alright. And that will be it for Lunadas. All right, so you walk up to this thing and you're going to punch, punch, and you like hit this thing, 
and it kind of like uh, like uh, hitting some Nickelodeon slime with your fist. It gives like a lot of give and like splashes a little bit. Does it appear that I heard it in any way? Uh, you probably really can't tell. Yeah, I can. Uh, so next up is slime one that is going to come up uh, to Lunados and it is going to try to engulf you. Um, that is an eight. <laughs> <laughs> it is going to miss you. He's going to do a little dancey step, you know, sort of like when this, the puddle sloshes up and he's trying to get keep things from getting on his shoes. Looks really prissy. Um, so slime number two is going to move down here and end its turn. Alexander, you're up. This is my life. I am going to use Flaming Sphere. Uh, as a 60-foot radius, I'm going to make it and let me find the draw thing. Wait, 60-foot radius? No, like, that's not how big it is. That's how that's the casting range. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I can make it... It's a 5-foot radius. Like, a 5-foot square, like, that's its area of effect. But I can make it up to 60 feet away. I'm going to put it where I made that square over slime 3. Okay. Uh, so any creature that makes it uh, ends its turn within 5 feet, makes a deck saving throw. If it passes, it takes half damage of 2d6. If it fails, it takes 2d6. And I can move it up to 30 feet as a bonus action and ram it into something. Okay. Does it do anything? Any uh, d- uh, initial damage? Uh, I do not believe so. Okay. And I'm going to use my bonus action to ram it into slime number one. Alright, so slime number one needs to make a deck save? Correct. Uh, that's a two. I'm going to say that fails. Nice. Sure. Nine damage. Fire. Alright, so Shane does this, uh, little cast and you see this flaming sphere appear between uh, these two slimes and then he runs it in this slime one and uh, you hear the sizzling and uh, popping as uh, it starts to eat away at this slime and that's my turn alright Juliet you're up alright Juliet is going to walk towards slime two and make an attack with reach. Uh, two attacks, rather. Uh, using slashing of halberd. Why not? First attack is a 17. That hits. And that will deal 13 slashing damage. The next is a 23 to hit. And that one will deal 10 slashing damage for a total of 23 slashing. Not bad for a squishy wizard. Alright, so and how do you take Julia this thing out? Is... What's that? So how do you take this thing out? Uh... With a almost like a, uh, a sweeping motion, arcing downward, she simply cuts the lower portion of the slime out from under it, and it leaks out like a runny egg onto the ground. That's how you get salmonella. <laughs> uh, that's it for Juliet. All right, Talia, you're up. All right. Poison spray. No, I'm not going to do poison spray. But it would actually work this time, probably. Maybe. Would it? But they're slimes. They're alive, at least. <laughs> uh, no, I'm actually gonna um, use the last charge on my ring of firebolts on slime two. That'll hit. For five damage, yay! Um, and then I, I 
think that's my turn. It's very exciting. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so uh, you hold up your uh, hand in a fist and point this ring at it, and you speak the command word, and this uh, almost like a bottle rocket streaming out of the uh, the ring, and it hits this slime and explodes into this small uh, fireball and uh, starts uh, bubbling and steaming some of this uh, ooze away. And you can hear like uh, the steam escaping from it, so it makes it like this uh, slime is screaming. Sweet. Next up is Turin. So Turin is going to come running through this door and he is Make going sure to you, it, it hits allies. Sorry to cut you off, but my flaming spirit does hit allies at it in their turn next to it. Okay. So he's going to go right here. And uh, since that is a double move, uh, that's going to end his turn. Uh, but now he's in front of Tali and Juliet facing uh, this uh, southernmost slime. Uh, next up is Adel. I forgot, Illuminus gets two attacks per turn. I feel silly. So Adel is going to run up here beside uh, Lunados, and that's going to be his double action, so that'll end his turn. Or not double action, uh, double move. Uh, next up is Slime 4, who is going to move towards Lunados and try to engulf him. Uh, that's a 12, that'll miss. Uh, slime 3 is going to try to slam a Lunados. Uh, <laughs> that is a 5, that's going to miss. Uh, next up, Salunidas. All right, let's kill this slime three. Why don't? I just think I'm looking at the initiative here, and it's funny. It's like Salunidas is 21, and the next closest is a slime that's nine. <laughs> Not worth winning if you can't win. Then. All right, Salunidas is first. To Ooh, that's a crit. Oh yeah. For eight damage on slime three, and he rolled a 19. Uh, that's devastating blow. Target loses 20% of current HP or crit damage, whichever is greater, but not both. But it doesn't matter because you just punch this thing to death. Ha 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 ha. So he, he punches it and it's just sort of like a slow motion because of this, you know, the chi channeled through his fists, which is what really does the damage. It's him, not the fist that does it. And it's uh, sort of like a slow motion popping balloon, which is... A series of cracks spread across the surface of the blob, and it just sort of splorts outward. Splort. I love that word. And for his second attack, he's going to turn and attack uh, Slime 4. Uh, that'll hit. Okay, 17 to hit. Okay, so 10 damage. Do this punch that destroys this other slime, and then just turn around, slam your fist into the ground like you're some sort of, like anime superhero and uh, it puddles up and uh, spreads out from your hand in the place uh, that you uh, hit it and like your fist is like crunching into the ground below and then just to get out of the way he's going to move around behind slime 4 alright next up is slime 2 that is going to try to slam Turin that's a 12 that's going to miss Alexander you're up Ooh, here we go again. I am going to ram it into the, uh, I'm in it over here, I'll draw a shape. Right there, using my bonus action. All right, so you need to make a deck save? Correct. Uh, that's a nine, I'm assuming that doesn't make it. Yep, eight damage. 
Alright. And I will move forward. And pass turn. Alright. Next up is Juliet. Fantastic. Juliet's going to take a swing at slime number two. Spreading the needle between Talia. Uh, 12 to hit. Uh, that hits. It's going to be 12 damage. So what's it look like when you take that slime out? So uh, with this next strike, uh, Juliet takes her helper, raises it up high, and just kind of bunks it down and cleaves the thing in two uh, vertically. Alrighty. And uh, Juliet's going to move up. All right. Talia, you're up. All right, so I'm going to move a little bit closer to slime four. Um, so it's right there. So I can move. Yeah, I can basically move there. Um, <clears throat> and I am going to... Is this close enough, right, to make with the stabbing? Yeah, it takes up uh, ten... It's uh, ten feet wide. Okay, so I'll go ahead and... Uh, that's a nine. Set day. That's going to miss. And then offhand, 14 for two. That'll hit. Uh, you don't get advantage, but you can do sneak attack. I can do sneak attack. Um, this is true. Yeah, I forgot I, think I made it's the button 3D6 for it. 3d6 at level 5. So that's an additional 5 damage. Alright. So Talia uh, runs up to this thing and then just takes her two daggers and just sweepy sweep uh, and uh, cuts some lines down through it. But uh, they seem to be like reforming together. Uh, Turin is going to run up beside the slime and he's going to take his spear and attack. That's a 20. So he's going to take his spear and just stab it down and like scoop this slime up and then slam it down to the ground and then it's just going to fall apart into like this gooey liquid and it's not moving anymore. So you think it's dead, which is uh, going to take us out of combat, but now this uh, floor is covered in like this green liquid. Gross. I intend to avoid it. Yeah, uh, Rogue gets 3d6 for sneak attack at level 5. So... You don't want to change your macro. So now that uh, these slimes are out of the way, you're starting to look around and um, see what this room's about, and it is a forge. Um, to the east, there appears to be like this stone forge that's elevated about three feet off the ground. And when you look into it, it looks like it is fueled by magma coming from the volcano and not like any sort of like fuel, like uh, coal or coke or wood, which would have been extinguished long ago. Um, you are going to see um, some buckets around here that appears to be used for quenching. Um, one of the buckets has up above it looks like there is a pewter decanter that is slowly dripping water into it which uh, you think is kind of weird because after how many thousands of years how could water still be possibly coming out of this thing um, but the bucket is only about half full so you think any water that's been dripping into it has been constantly evaporated from the heat in this room there are some ingots of various metals here to the west. Um, there looks like um, some silver and some adamantine ingots. And then to the north of this uh, room, there appears to be three tables laid out, all various kinds of weapons here. Um, most of them appear to be like um, 
rusted. Um, so you think those were probably like steel and iron weapons. Um, but there appears to be uh, about eight weapons here that are survived that are made out of animantine. There is a dagger, a glaive, a spear, a short sword, a mace, and what appears to be some knuckle coverings. So instead of like brass knuckles, they'd be animantine knuckles. Ludodos picks those up and puts them on. Starts taking some experimental swings. Um, Juliet, do you still have to take magic up? I do. It's for 10 minutes. Okay. So you look around the room and the thing that you were seeing that was so strongly magical is that pewter decanter that's dripping water into that bucket. Is there anything else in the room that is magical as well or just that decanter? just the decanter. Julia is absolutely going to take that and examine it then. Alright, give me a... Um... Do you have Identify? I have the spell, or but I do not have me, any of the components. <laughs> or you could give me a uh, Arcana check, and with a sufficient uh, uh, roll on that, uh, you'll be able to tell what this is, because it's you would know what it is with a, a pretty good arcana check or a history check. That's a nine, but I'm going to use inspiration. Reroll that. Say 19. All right. So you would know this is a decanter of endless water. Did you use that in the desert? Yeah. Or now I recall I have things. a cart and a horse. Um. <laughs> so um, we're trying to lead through this dungeon. You would know if the... Uh, the stoppers removed from this ordinary looking flask and the command words spoken amount of fresh or salt water pours from it. Separate command words determine the type as well as the volume and velocity. Um, a stream pours out one gallon per round. A fountain produces five foot uh, stream at five gallons per round. And a geyser produces a 20 foot long, one foot wide stream at 30 gallons per round. The uh, geyser effect causes a considerable back pressure requiring the holder to make a DC 12 strength check to avoid being knocked down. The force of the geyser deals 1d4 points of damage but can only be affect one target per round and the command word must be spoken to stop it. Alrighty. It is considered a wondrous item. Wonderful. Alright, um, so Turin is going to come up and he's going to pick up one of these spears <clears throat> that's uh, made out of animantine. There's still a dagger, a glaive, a short sword, and a mace. How does a glaive compare to a halberd, uh, Juliet? Uh, they're similar. Halberds have an extra point on the end, but glaives are better at slashing, like a sword on the end of a stack stick. What about a glaive, glaive, demigui's arm, glaive? Uh, what? <laughs> Sorry, Maybe I glaive uh, wrong. I don't know how an adamantine glaive would compare to your current plus one magical halberd. Actually, his uh, halberd isn't a plus one. It's not? I thought it was... Well, it has... It is magical, but it does not have a plus one bonus. I think you've got, what, one charge left of uh, Bane on it? Yes, indeed. All right, so what are you doing? you taking any of these weapons, or are you moving on? I'll go ahead and put the... Go ahead. I was just going to say I was going to put the weapons inside of my pouch unless somebody has uh, anything else they want to say. I was going to say we can load all that stuff up on the cart. Um, leading, on, slowly on, trying to lead the horse through the dungeon. I was just trying to figure out how we would actually do that. 
We could leave her at the entrance, but I don't necessarily want to leave Buttercup by herself in the dark. Or Sweet. Near- are, we, are we saying that we all brought our horses into this dungeon? No, I thought we left them outside. Yep. Uh, I Insane. thought John said he wanted to bring them inside this entrance. Yeah, that, I remember asking if it was big enough. Oh, right, we left them just inside the entrance, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they and are just inside the entrance... To ride. If they are just inside the entrance, you know, it's going to be light and dark depending on, you know, sunrise and sunset. Then we should have feed for them. So they can be okay left on their own, probably. Unless there are random encounters for them. But uh, what I'm saying is that we can load up as much as we want on the cart. I mean, like, within reason of these ingots. If there's, like, precious metals we want to take. If anything, we can grab them on the way out. I don't think there's any other living inhabitants that we know of that are going to come grab it from us. So, yeah, we'll say the silver and the adamantine's what's left, and it's about 150 gold pieces. And I guess that's probably a pretty good place to end it right there. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Dungeons & Debacles podcast. If I could ask a halfling size favor, give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It's the best way to support us. New episodes come out every Monday, so make sure to check your podcast app. Do you have an idea to make the podcast better? Tell us about it on Twitter or Facebook. You can also check out our website to see all the maps, lore, and characters at DungeonsAndDebaclesPodcast.com. And now a word from our fantasy sponsor. Do you want to make more gold? Of course, we all do. Find out how easy it is to do with your journeyman certification with the Carly Institute Correspondent School. You can train for a new trade without setting foot in a classroom. Choose from any of these courses, livery, weapon and armor repair, bowery fletcher, leather tanning, blacksmithing, child daycare, cart management, bookkeeping, law assistant, dentist, bloodletting, and inn management. Or get your specialized degree in arcana, alchemy, herbalism, or cartography. Compare your current salary with the gold you could be making in any one of these careers. Send a raven to Carly Vocational Correspondent School to start your quest for a better life. The music you heard on this episode was The Descent, Dark Unease, and Rights by Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License. CreativeCommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 3.0.